going back to Popey's argument about filing a bug, this is not one I think, um, and I don't know, maybe it's my bias. I've been around for a while. This is not one I think is worth my time uh, because it's- <laughs> Yeah, that's what I heard for six months from the people complaining about wireless on 16.04. I 16 disagree with that. That I didn't actually have that problem, but oh that, my God. that would have been one- there would have been. But that's exactly the problem. Like, not everyone had this problem. There were people, like, very close to you, ranting about how wireless on 1604 was completely busted and everyone should avoid it on 2.16.04. It turns out, no, it's not busted for everyone. It's not busted for anyone in Canonical. It's only busted for certain select people with certain chipsets in certain environments. What's crazy? But those uh, fuckers wouldn't tell us <laughs> what the details of that system was. Yeah. If you don't tell us, we can't fucking fix it. I think this is a real problem. I think the core problem that that issue the 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 thing is is I'm not going to spend my time I'm not going to spend I'm not going to like I said if I'm working 65 hours this week I'm not going to work 67 hours so that way I can report a bug and then watch them tell me it's an Nvidia problem I'm not going to do it uh, but doesn't canonical maintain a list of certified hardware we do, yeah. So if you're buying outside of that list, but you don't want to spend time to report the issues, like that's kind of seems like. Also, it's a bit, it's a bit uh, cheeky to say that you're not willing to put in the extra hours when all these people who are working their day job and then in their spare time, in their evenings, are working on open source. I projects. agree. I'm just telling you. I think that's what's happening. I think that's it, and I, I think it's just human nature. People are they're at their wits' end with so many so many things, especially in the U.S. That I think that's the issue is people are out of right. bandwidth. That you got to buy the certified hardware. Then. Right. I mean, there's oh well, and there's other. I mean, there's a lot of different. There's a lot of different answers, but I think the the core problem of people not reporting what's going on, like this, they're not going to get a bug report from me on this. I'm just going to either right. move on or. You know, I don't know what. So this this is one of the reasons, and it's a slight change of topic, but this is one of the reasons why we want that crash reporting information from people. Because it's not just like, you know, weirdness that happens on your display. But when shit crashes, we want to know about that so we can fix it. And we know there are plenty of people. I can sit here and berate you and encourage you to file a bug. But I know there are, for every one of you, there's a hundred or a thousand or maybe a hundred thousand people who will not file a bug don't know how didn't know it's even possible right but if under the covers when something crashes if we can in a tasteful way take that crash report and aggregate it with all the other crash reports that are similar and we can analyze that and say okay we've got a problem we need to fix this thing we don't even ever have to interact with human beings mm -hmm. out in the field which we is how it should work fix that code right but not everything is a crash right and what you're experiencing is not necessarily a crash and that's the problem is not everything can be can be captured and fixed via crash reports well this is my long way of saying i'm switching to elementary os <laughs> sweet Boom. awesome you know you're how many still gonna have nvidia problems so don't well, get up there you uh <laughs> yeah May you have a nice time and the NVIDIA RNG gods bless you. I'm just worried you're going to screw this whole thing up. You got a good thing going. That's all. So just keep it going, Dan. Don't well, we're thinking up. about putting an Amazon search in. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be so handy. Yeah. Yeah. Figure good. that's great timing. <laughs> generates revenue, mate. Whatever you might think, it generates revenue. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 244. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's sitting in front of so many Linux rigs, I'm starting to lose track. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. <laughs> Hello, Wes. That's a little bit of a uh, behind-the-scenes joke, I suppose. It sure is. But I'll tell you what, Wes. Everything we have to talk about is going to be in front of the scenes this Out week. in the open. Wes and I are going to be out in the open coming up really soon. We'll tell you about where you can come hang out with us and perhaps watch a live taping of this very show. 
ZFS on Linux has a bit of a ButterFS bug. We'll tell you what's going on, and no, it's not actually that bad. And Steam Machines are perhaps not so dead? We kind of uh, we kind of got down on the Steam Machines last week, so we got to follow up on that. NVIDIA is taking away your cookies, and there's a new tool out that, uh, let's just say it's going to make your stuff look better. It's going to make your stuff look better. The stuff you, you back up, the stuff you back up off the web is going to look better. With this. I'm not going to say any more than that because the copyright lawyers may be listening right now, but we'll move on then later on in the show. We have a new segment called Plasma Corner, which uh, which changed a little bit before the show started, but we'll talk about Plasma Vault, which is a really sweet plasma applet that gives you a front end to creating encrypted vaults and some new features that are coming to Plasma Vault really soon that I think you're going to love. And then we'll discuss, I think, the only dock you should be using if you should so, so choose to do so on the Plasma desktop. Now, I'm not saying Ooh, you big should. words. I'm not saying you should, but I found a dock, replaced my Plasma panel with it, and I'm loving it. I'll tell you about that. And then we'll talk a little bit about Falcon, a cross-platform QT web browser. That, uh, not bad. It's not bad. So how about that, Wes? That's a, that is a full... Show. That's some things. That's some things. Let's get into it. So let's not go any further without bringing in our virtual lug time appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Hello. 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 Hi, guys. It's good, to, it's good to be connected with all of you. Thanks for being here. Uh, I want to just start at the show out with a plug skis for Linux Fest Northwest hey, 2018, yo. which will be April 28th through the 29th. This year, and uh, Wes and I will be there, as well as many others from the Jupiter Broadcasting crew, including Noah and Alan Jude and Angela and others. We'll be doing some live shows from there. We'll have a booth. We'll have some swag. We'll be chatting with people. We'll be drinking beers and hanging out and doing all the things you do when you're in Bellingham. Uh, so join us there, Linux Fest Northwest. You can find out more at linuxfestnorthwest.org. Just a little bit left. I think... Um, just a little bit of time left, but I think not so many rooms left. So <laughs> that's why I, that's why I camp in the parking lot in my RV. Linux Fest Northwest 2018. Go check it out. LinuxFestNorthwest.org. It looks like it's already the biggest Linux Fest this year. I mean, this year is already the biggest. Th- you know what I mean? It's the biggest one yet because they've sold out of all the things. And uh, we'd love to see you there and hang out with us. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. We may just try. I don't know. We may just try to do like a weekend edition of this show. And uh, and do it live there at the fest. That'd be a lot of fun. So stay tuned for that, linuxfest.org, if you want to go. And uh, I may try to make it down to Southeast Linux Fest this year, too. So may see you down there as well. There's other events coming up. But I think Linux Fest Northwest is one of the best, and Bellingham is a ton of fun. Just before the show, Wes and I were talking about how much we're looking forward to just going back to Bellingham. It's just a great it's place. It's a wonderful out. place. It's a college town. There's some a lot of different breweries there. There's just a lot going on. It's a cute quintessential Pacific Northwest place. All right, so now let's talk about destroying your data. Now that that's out of the way, um, you know me. I'm a pretty big fan of the ZFS. But you knew this day was coming. You knew a reckoning was in the works. And uh, let's be honest, you still rolled the dice. Uh, I've never installed GNU slash Linux. Okay, well, now not all of us have rolled the dice. But there is a... Disappearing files issue on ZFS on Linux right now on certain distributions. And I want to do a breakdown just so you can be aware of what's going on. The ZFS team is already well aware of it. um, But uh, if you are on ZFS version 0.77 on, say, like CentOS, you should absolutely seriously consider downgrading to 7.6. Or if by the time you're listening to this, 7.8 is available upgrade. 
Um, Gentoo is also affected. Ubuntu and Debian users are not affected because they are on older versions of CFS. Ubuntu specifically is on version 0.75. But it's a regression that's been introduced in CFS 0.77 on some Linux systems. It's... Um, it's it's sort of complicated, but it, it's kind of a combination issue, as a lot of times these problems are. It's a combination of a change that was made in GNU Core Utils in the way that CP works, yeah, and a way and a patch that was made to ZFS, and the two things collided. So I talked to Alan Jude last night, and he says that uh, he 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 went through this whole thing, and he's been kind of been following this from day one. Uh, the, the team's been working on this; they're they've, they're already working on the patch. He says they found part of the problem is based on a change to core utils, but it doesn't go to repro- and that's why some people can reproduce the problem, and some people couldn't. Uh, so you had to have a certain version of ZFS, and you had to have a certain version of core utils. But in the version of core utils that CentOS is using. Uh, there is a hard limit that was accidentally introduced with a recent patch to ZFS. They limited the attempts to expand the ZAP, which is the, uh, when I asked Alan, what the hell, Alan, is a ZAP? It's the ZFS Attributes Processor. It's it's basically, yeah. Well, of course, Chris. Yeah. So the ZAP is a ZFS Attributes Processor that's basically a key store value. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it's, it's how directories are stored in ZFS. And this bug that was introduced limited the attempts to expand the ZAP to two. Uh, which which is not enough. And so um, that means two attempts. <laughs> and so when you're copying thousands of files, after a couple of attempts, it would just say, oh, can't do it anymore, and it would just start dropping the files, essentially. And so uh, the ZFS team, Richard Yao, is part of this, is working on the fix, says we've dropped everything. We have a dozen people around the world who are working on this. We have a fix. We're, we're kind of narrowing in on the exact circumstance because you had to have a certain version of Core Utils. You had to have a certain version of, <laughs> of ZFS on Linux. Uh, so it's, it's, and you had to be doing a certain kind of copy of new files. This didn't impact existing files. <laughs> and it, it like Some people had to test, like, does it matter if I'm in a mirror? Does it matter if I'm in a RAID? You know, whatever. Like, all this different testing had to happen. But you can watch. We'll have a link in the uh, show notes. You can watch them work through this over the process of data as they narrow it down. The, the, I, I asked Alan, like, what, 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 what triggered this, this upstream change in ZFS that, that accidentally triggered this zap limit? And he says, well, they were actually just trying to make some changes to, to how it all worked on a case-insensitive file system. Yeah, optimizing for a totally different case. Yeah, and, and then that's what caused all of this. <laughs> and it really shows you what a house of cards all of this is. So the moral of the story is if you're on Gentoo or CentOS or Scientific Linux or Red Hat Enterprise Linux, uh, you need to be either be on ZFS 7.6 or ZFS 7.8, uh, and you won't have this issue. So that's my breakdown of it. Unfortunately, there's really no other coverage of this, so I can't link you to like a, a Pharonix post or anything like that. That's This is it. Uh, we had to do the original reporting on this for you, but all of the information, including a better description and quotes from Alan Jude, are in the show notes. If uh, this impacts you, if you're using this in production, just go to uh, linuxunplug.com slash 244 for that information. I mean, it's, it says a lot that, uh, you know, this is the first thing of this scale we've seen for a long time with our yeah. handy-dandy friends yeah. ZFS. The other thing that was really fascinating is because all of this is on GitHub, so all of the GitHub utilities are immediately put into play. Like, they're finding the exact commits, that, that, like, they have the code highlighted, they're linking everybody to it. It is so, fascinating to watch, yeah. Yeah, everybody's on the same page. So you can say a lot of things about GitHub and about open source uh, projects being on, on a commercial platform. Uh, boy, was that useful, tracking this thing down. You could really see how the team was just 
busting through this at a at a breakneck pace, figuring it out. And then to really see Richard Yao, just a just a just a mention to Richard Yao, who is really just tackling this thing. He's he's just being a, a a real leader in this situation, and he's going to the Hacker News and Reddit comment threads, and he's answering sysadmins' questions that are in there, saying, "So this is my scenario. Do I need to worry about this?" And he's specifically addressing their exact questions while he's working around the clock to help people, uh, to help the team get the patch together. So, so yeah, impressive. It's unfortunate, and it shows you that uh, even things like CFS uh, are not, um, uh, uh, you know, infallible. And of course, Alan had to get a dig in there that it only affects Linux. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> oh, you're welcome, Alan. I got it. I made that into the show. Anyway, so if you're running ZFS on Linux, you need to know about that. We wanted to let you know. Just a little bit of heads up here on the Unplugged program. And we got links to everything in the show notes if you want to see the whole thing or where the exact... I'm showing it on the screen right now with that exact... Right there. Right there. That's it. Oh, don't do it. No. I know. That's it. Now everybody's been infected, Wes. No, no. Oh, wait. It doesn't work like that at all. But you know what does work like that? An idea. An idea like Ting. That's right. Linux.ting.com. Go there and get $25 off a Ting device or $25 in service credit. That'll probably pay for more than your first month. I brought over one of those old Evo 4Gs. You know, the ones that had, uh, uh, what was it? WiMAX. WiMAX, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I had no use for this thing. So I brought that over to Ting and they're like, all right, well, you know what? We'll give you $25 in service credit. I'm like, wait, what, really? Like, yeah, just put it on that device and see what you think for a month. And, uh, you know, if you like, I'm like, a month? All right. At the end of the month, I hadn't even used all $25. And I was like, oh, oh, I get it. I get it I get now. It. And you can too. Linux.ting.com. It's smarter than unlimited. If you use less, you pay less. $6 a month for your line. Then your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. Whatever you use, that's what you pay. And they have a nationwide network, GSM and CDMA, no contracts and early termination fees. That's what I love about Ting. And you're in control all of the time from the control panel, the great customer service, or if you want to use CDMA or GSM. And because they support both networks, you probably want to check their BYOD page. They probably support a device you already have, and then you can really save some money. But if you, if you, don't, if you don't want to use an old device, you want to get something new, they got a sale going right now on those Motos, those Moto devices, like, Three or four different Moto devices that are really nice. Um, so go check those out because those are a great value. And it's no contract and you're just paying for what you use. Linux.ting.com. You go there to support the show. You get the $25 in either service credit or off a hardware device, which <laughs> that's a great deal. And then you're good to go. You start going and you see, you know what? This is a totally different way to do mobile. You'll see it. And it's like, it's like, the, it's like you got the, the veil has been lifted. You're woke all of a sudden. You're staying woke over at Ting. <laughs> they ought to take that they stay woke at ting linux.ting.com a big thank you to ting for sponsoring the unplugged program and go check it out because it's really uh it's a totally different way to do mobile it's a better way to do mobile if they had to hit the reset button today that's how they do it linux.ting.com my millennials stay woke so go check it out all right, so Mr. Daniel Foray, as he is one to do, uh, joins us here on the show, which we always love having him. And uh, this week, he talks about something that's near and dear to my heart. Because you've often, if you've listened to this show or Linux Action News, you may have heard Joe say, Chris, you ought to just use XFCE. Oh, you're having some plasma problems? I feel bad for you, son. Oh, Gnome's getting a little weird on you? I feel bad for you, son. You ought to just use XFCE. And I'll sit here and go, Joe, I don't want to use the damn XFCE. I'd rather go back to the 90s. So this is a conversation that happens all the time. And part of my 
reluctance to go to I3, which is great, or XFCE, which is fantastic. But my personal reluctance, it's just this, it's this dumb thing of somebody I think that's unique to somebody that's probably my age or around my age. And that it's that uh, when, I, when I started using computers, you could only run one application at a time. My first computer got hooked up to a television. Uh, I put cartridges in my first computer and it could do one thing at a time. It was delightful when I could make the damn thing beep. So I, I'm, I, I've just been through a lot of iterations of the shit pile that we call modern technology. And I've been through a lot of promises about the next great thing that's just around the corner that's going to finally make the computer better and finally make it user-friendly. And I've been listening to that promise since I could read, since I could take in information. I am just at a point in my life where I'm done with computers being below a certain standard. And it doesn't mean I'm a Mac user or I'm, I'm on some Windows 10 uh, power user writing PowerShell scripts. It just simply means I've been through iterations of this, this entire industry now. And I've gotten to a point where I just expect a certain standard of living on my desktop environment. Uh, and it's not that I couldn't make do and go camping in XFCE and be totally fine with a weekend in i3. It's simply if I'm going to build a home and I'm going to live there, I got a certain standard because it's where I live. And it's not, it's just XFCE, i3, these other desktop environments are simply unappealing to me in that regard. It's nothing about the excellence of the projects, the functionality that they serve for other individuals. It has no statement on your use of them. It's simply my esoteric preferences as somebody who has gone through the life experiences that I have. So I am really at a point where if, if, it's not of a certain standard that's my own personal standard. I'm not interested. And that's why I'm on Plasma right now. That's why I stayed on GNOME 3 for a really long time. And it's why I follow the elementary project with keen interest. And they really kind of hit my note this week when they started talking about improving the look of the applications and start talking about building the next generation of applications for their Linux desktop. And this is something that they've been working on for over seven years. And they've introduced multiple generations. Uh, and it's 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 really something to see. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes to go to, to encourage you to go look at the screenshots because visually it's again, one of these posts where you could just really see the progress visually, but there's so much more than just the visual aspect of it. So Dan is joining us and, and I loved this post, Dan, because you start out with generation one, which is the really the first version of an elementary OS, like the best shot for a new team. And they were pretty good. I think maybe that's where some of uh, the early criticism about design copying came from. But GTK2 was limited and you could only get so far. But now in 2018, we're, we're in a totally different place. You know, one of the things that I think is kind of central to uh, the story that I wanted to present in this post is that when we first started out, we didn't really know how to be a good code shop. And we actually went to uh, the Ubuntu Developer Summit and we wanted to pitch some of our apps for being included in Ubuntu. And one of the Unity developers kind of sat us down and, and gave us a talk and he was like, hey, listen, you guys are bad at coding. 
and he like told us all the things we were doing wrong and how to step up our game. And we came back from that and we uh, picked a standard language. We created code style guides. We started doing code reviews. We started getting really serious about the quality of the code that goes into our applications and not just uh, what goes on top as far as design. Yeah. And boy, do I appreciate that as an end user. Uh, that's why I did this whole setup is... Um, I think this this is this is the solution to the problem where I've I've seen these promises over and over again and then and then we do these uh, hard resets or we have these big focus changes and what what is clear now uh, especially as we're getting close to the next release of elementary OS is you guys have really been on a trajectory where I'd say it's refining focus over and over again. And so, and you could definitely see it in gen two of your applications. Like they're solid looking, they're GTK three by Freya. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you give us some hints where things are going. So where, where do we go in gen two to gen three? Like what's, what kind of is the next thing that we might see in future versions of elementary OS that may not yet be released? Where is this going? So one of the big things that happened is we came out with App Center, right? Yep. And when we did that, uh, a focus for us was making sure we had a lot of automated tests in place so that when developers submit their applications, we could run them through these tests and get their apps published very quickly. And when we did that, we kind of set a set of standards for them as far as uh, naming. We um, forced developers to use the reverse domain name notation so that, for example, uh, their binaries and the names of uh, files like .desktop files or uh, AppStream data files all follow this RDNN notation where it's like com github dot username application. So what's the, what's the benefit there? That sounds that sounds good, but what's the benefit? So the, the point of this is to ensure that we don't have any sort of naming conflicts, not only uh, oh. when developers are publishing their applications sure. on elementary OS, but also when we're talking about upstreams, repackaging. Yeah, I bet. And this is something that uh, the GNOME team has embraced as well, and uh, it's pretty common on Android and, and other platforms like that. So we're going to a point where not only are we enforcing this for all of our third-party applications, but we want to you know, practice what we tell other people to do. And so all of our first-party applications are going to be using RDNN from now on as well. Can you, can you expand on that a bit? So you're working with GNOME, or it's kind of the same thing, or what's that about? I think it's more of just kind of a, a de facto standard that everybody's moving towards as we realize that um, we're, we want to have this world eventually where we're shipping not just like a few thousand applications, but where we have millions of applications, right? And in order to get to that world um, with the constraints of uh, file-based package managing, we have to make sure that these files do not conflict with each other. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're thinking about it. That's for sure. Uh, that. Uh, the hype train. It's uh, it's successful. This one. I mean, I'm just thinking. You're, I think you're caught right along. I got a machine. I got a machine that's destined for this. I think that's the that's the case. Well, Dan, is there anything else we should mention? Well, real quick, I, I do want to plug um, that there's a bunch of other stuff that we talk about that people can check out in the in the article, which you said will be in the show notes. But um, I want to make a point that uh, our continuous integration suite that we've developed for App Center, yeah. uh, we're now making it available as um, something that you can run through Travis CI on your own projects. Oh. So anybody can use this this full testing suite that uh, Elementary is working on, even if you're not planning to publish an App Center. That's Thank fantastic. you for mentioning yeah. that. That's great. Yeah, no kidding. That's totally worth <laughs> we just We were <laughs> just talking about Travis CI. That's so cool. Yeah. All right. So that's good. That's definitely great. So check that out. The link, like you said, is in the show notes. Uh, uh, and now 
I uh, I want to just kind of just from a big big picture perspective, like how do you how do you as a project uh, how do you feel like yep the stuff is ready to go? You must have a lot of people besides yourself testing this. Maybe a small group, ten people, a thousand people. Like how does the beta process work for Elementary OS? Yeah, so right now um, we're kind of in a pre-release state where uh, we just have some builds that we're running internally, um, and we just publish those on our Slack channel, which has like a little over a hundred people in it, I think, right now. Mm. Okay. And so we've got a we've got a small group of just developers testing. Uh, we have projects up on uh, GitHub, which you can actually see it's a public project where we're tracking regressions and things like that. And so once we get through those tests and we feel like we've handled all the regressions we know about, then we'll go to public beta and that'll be an open public beta. Anybody can download and then oh, okay. we'll figure out from there, like how much we have left to do before we can do final release. Hmm. I'm excited to hear that. Well, neat. Well, thank you for coming on and explaining this. And uh, I like the uh, I like the fact that you guys. So it's called flight check. Is that what is that what it's called? So that's the name of the component. Um, the the full application is called Houston. Houston. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. love it. And and so this uh, this part we're calling it Houston CI. Okay, that's great. And you're making it available for anybody if they want to integrate into their projects. That's so cool. Um, yeah, and this is this is all regular open source standard stuff. Like this checks, uh, validates metadata for .dot desktop files and app data files, and it like does a lot of good open source citizen stuff. And we're looking to integrate tests that other platforms use, like uh, the Debian maintainers uh, have a good set of tests that they use for packages. So we really want to make sure this is all like open source standard stuff. That's fantastic. Yeah. And it's uh, using computers for what they're good at, which right. I'm always a fan of. It's like, might as well if you can. If you can have some of the stuff tested for you automatically, even if it doesn't replace actual testing, it's just another data point, and it's, it's pretty valuable. It's good to hear. That's good to hear. All right, well, last week, we may have reported too soon Ooh. that Steam Machines were dead, although I'm actually not sure it's not the case, in my personal opinion, but... Uh, Valve took to the web after uh, last week's episode and said, we've noticed that what started out as a routine cleanup of our Steam store, where we removed all links to Steam machines, all references to Steam machines and Steam OS, and uh, buried them, uh, we noticed that some of you interpreted that incorrectly. I, I may have... Uh, I, I may have uh, editorialized it a little bit. Read a little bit. Just, I may have a little bit of editorializing. Uh, but while it's true, Steam machines aren't exactly flying off the shelves. Read, we haven't sold any for the last couple of months. Our reasons for striving towards a competitive and open gaming platform haven't significantly changed. Read, we're working on fundamentals. We've taken a lot of feedback and have been heads down on addressing the shortcomings we've observed. Read, Linux was a bit of a dumpster fire. Nap. Taking yeah. a nap, for sure. <laughs> and we think an important part of that effort is our ongoing investment in making Vulkan Logical. a competitive and well-supported graphics API, as well as making sure it has first-class support on Linux platforms. I think that's great. Completely think that's great. Yeah, I think that is true. Um, and uh, they say now, here's the part that, that, that got my attention. Tell me what you think about this, Wes. You ready for this one? They go on about how we're continuing to invest a significant resources in Vulcan ecosystem and stuff. But then they just throw this in as one sentence. It's not even a complete sentence. They say, we also have other Linux initiatives in the pipe that we're not quite ready to talk about yet. Fascinating. What is that What mean? now? We have other Linux initiatives in the pipe. 
Not the pipeline, the pipe. The pipe, yep. Uh, that we're not quite ready to talk about Maybe they're about stuck yet. in the pipe. That's why they can't talk about them. They need to get them out of the pipe. I think it's VR on Linux. That's what it seems like, right? I mean, what else What else right? could it be? Does anybody else in the mumble room have speculation on what might be in Valve's pipe? Uh, what could be in Valve's pipe that's regarding Linux? That's not SteamOS. It's not Falcon. It's not the Steam client. It's not the Steam controller. Steam TV. Uh, maybe. Um, Steam Steam Cody? <laughs> I would yeah, so be down for that. If SteamOS could be a Cody, basically, with SteamOS, you know, Steam integration, I would that would be such a product for me. Uh, <laughs> half pipe three. <laughs> All right, so nobody's got any ideas. All right, you guys are uh, you guys are no good. Um, what a mystery. It is a bit of a mystery. What would Valve have in their pipe? So let us know, linuxunplugged.com slash contact, and uh, send us in your ideas for what might be in Valve's pipe. I, I don't know. I'm thinking it's VR or AR. Uh, and sort of as a related note, uh, screw you 32-bit users, NVIDIA is giving you the middle finger this time and is ending support for 32-bit OSs. It's not just uh, It's not just Linux users. It's everybody. So... It's equal screwing. The times, they are a-changing. Oh, yeah, they're going to halt GeForce GPU driver support at the end of April, meaning users will lose access to new GeForce experience features and game updates. But more importantly, uh, and you got a little more runway on this one, NVIDIA will end security updates January 2019, so you can continue to use your 32-bit OS with a GeForce card uh, at least until 2019 and get security updates and then, you know, really, in theory, you could keep running it probably for a lot longer. It's just there's going to be security things that they won't fix. Like, I don't know, new versions of Spectre? <laughs> I'm not sure what that would be. Uh, I guess. I mean, what kind of security? Uh, actually, I take that back. Now that I think about TechSnap, there's been a few stories where NVIDIA drivers have been involved, including even running cryptoware on <laughs> the NVIDIA GPU. Oh, so. no. <laughs> Yeah. But Wes and I were just talking about all kinds of speculative execution attacks on the TechSnap program. That'll be coming out later this week, techsnap.systems slash 363, I think it was. If you want, if I you think want, you're right. Yeah. And uh, speculative execution, turns out, is uh, going to be a fun bag for lots of people. And we talk about some of the new exploits in that episode. So let's now talk about DigitalOcean, our sponsor for this week's episode of the Unplugged program. DigitalOcean is what I use for a lot of our backend infrastructure. We're recording portions of the show using DigitalOcean. We're streaming portions of the show using DigitalOcean. In fact, the bot that manages our titles is using DigitalOcean. It West. sure is. <laughs> talk about dog food. Yeah, we really do. And it's because it's, it's great infrastructure. You can deploy in seconds and it's super fast. You can develop locally and deploy globally. DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash unplugged to get a limited 60 days, but yet it's kind of great. $100 credit. I can't believe I even get to say that. You have to go to that URL, do.co slash unplugged. That arms your web browser with the knowledge of the $100 deal. Once you create a new account, you get the $100 deal. I think you might have to have like a legit credit card on file, although... I don't know if that's actually true, but you do get the $100 credit if you go to the do.co slash unplugged and it's a new account, you create the account, and then you can really play around because really my favorite system is three cents an hour. And so when you think about $100, I mean, you could really try out like their new high CPU droplet. You could be like West Payne and be spinning up VPN systems. All the time. What's the go last, crazy. do you remember the last droplet you uh, created? Uh, it was got to be sometime earlier this week. I know. 
I know. There's like, we'll be sitting here uh, uh, discussing like an idea for the tech snap show and we'll be like, well, let's go spin up a droplet and try that real quick. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's a great idea. And that's what I love about it because it just, it's so fast. They have a really easy to use web interface, a super straightforward, well-documented API, and then just tons of well-constructed documentation on top of that to make it easy for beginners or experts to go all the way with DigitalOcean. You can deploy a single like bare Linux rig or an entire application stack. They have tutorials. They have a lot of community meetups, surprisingly. That's a big thing I never actually have mentioned about DigitalOcean is there is a large meetup community. Seattle has some. Wow. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. I, it's a big Fantastic. thing. Fantastic. Yeah. It's pretty cool. There's all kinds of neat things about DigitalOcean. We only get to touch on parts of them, like the fact that they provide backend infrastructure for tons of the open source projects that we talk about here on this very show. And of course, the fact that they're supporting for a long time now, this crazy Linux podcast that's barely structured that just talks about freaking Linux things. I mean, that's just kind of great in itself. Go to do.co slash unplugged to get the $100 credit and then uh, play around. Try out their flexible droplets where you can mix and match resources. It's pretty cool. do.co slash unplugged and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this here humble Linux program. So um, prominent Ubuntu community developer, Mr. Simon Quigley has joined us in the mumble room to talk about his proposal to dramatically change the release cycle of Ubuntu's early builds, you know, like the alphas and the betas. So Mr. Simon, Mr. Mr. Prominent Ubuntu Developer Community, thank you for joining us on the show today, sir. Actually, very much thank you for making the time. I do appreciate it. Uh, but what is the Quigley proposal? Because Pharonix tells me it's going to fundamentally change the way beta releases work for Ubuntu, and I'm intrigued. So right now, the way that milestones work in Ubuntu, we have um, you know, two alpha you know, releases, and we have two beta releases. Um, so the Alpha 1 and the Alpha 2, they, the, the first, you know, Alpha 1 comes a couple months after the, you know, th after the release cycle opens up. Then a month after that typically is Alpha 2, and then there's a Beta 1, and then a final Beta. Um, and then from there we get release candidates and that sort of thing and actually go into the release. So with this proposal, as of right now, Ubuntu Desktop and Ubuntu Server um, they don't. They do not participate in these in the first two alphas and the first right. beta. So basically, they've been for the past couple release cycles, if not longer, they've been opt-in, you know, milestones. So the goal here is, you know, to to just evaluate to see, you know, if these are still necessary to see, you know, if they if these are still something that we need. So looking at the past release cycle. We had we didn't have alpha one and alpha two because of the spectrum meltdown stuff. Um, beta one, we well Ubuntu had some issues. Uh, other flavors had a release, but otherwise, I looked at this. You know, I looked at what happened during this release cycle, and I I sort of analyzed to see what the benefit would be to taking these optional milestones away because. Like I said, it's it's been optional, and flavors really drive these. So yeah. Ubuntu, Ubuntu Chillin, um, Ubuntu Mate usually comes in around beta one, that sort of thing. So the goal here would be to, you know, just get rid of these milestones completely, and instead of um, instead of having a release cycle where we have set you know release times, we would have like a, a coordinated testing. Now the advantages of this are with the with the Milestone releases, it's basically, you could pick any day in the, you know, in a month, and you could pick a daily out of that 
out of that you know month span of dailies um you know the iso and you could label that beta one and people would install that but that's an image that's frozen in time and that's a blessed image but the, the, with the nature of the winter release cycle things go fast enough that the next day you could have fixes so if you install beta one on a system you just update your system and you know there's really no advantage to having a frozen in time iso so the main goal of this would be to also make things a little bit you know faster and make our automation a little bit better because at the moment um after i after i made this proposal someone followed up on the mailing list and said that ubuntu desktop and server while they don't participate in these initial milestones they do have some automated testing so they have some testing where it does it just does some smoke tests that we would get with the flavors we usually make them would usually do manually so it's just overall just looking at you know the the different milestones that we do and making sure that what we do and what we spend our time on is useful so the goal of the testing weeks would also be to sort of coordinate everything together and while not while you're not releasing something it would also be an opportunity for flavors to announce changes that they're making in the dailies without actually having to release something. Yeah, I like I, this yeah. idea of the test week or test weeks, I suppose. That's pretty clever. And I think it's uh, it's sort of reminiscent of like a hack fest in a way, but it's protracted a little bit. It's, it's, it's not quite as intense and it sort of elicits community participation and gives people a time to focus. And it's also in its very nature kind of a reminder, hey, the next release is pretty close. This is kind of your last chance to make sure this thing's working right. I, I like that idea, Simon. Um, and uh, and Michael Irwell liked it too, apparently, because he, he wrote it up and uh, tossed it up on Pharonix. <laughs> Seems like there's some decent reception yeah. so far. Yeah. Well, Simon, thank you for coming on and explaining it in your own words, because I really like it. I, 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 when, you know, I hear your idea. And the other thing I like what you're doing about it is you're just kind of rethinking this process. I think it's one of those things that uh, is just sort of easy. It's a, it's a decision that's been made, and let's just move on and just get the job done. And uh, you're kind of revisiting something that's been assumed for a long time and going, well, why are we doing it this way? What if we did it this way? Right. And that, that was sort of the point of it, just to sort of see, you know, if, if we can improve anything. One other thing that I, I do want to mention is that I don't think I mentioned before is that it's the goal, because these are optional milestones, the goal would be for, you know, my in my proposal, the goal would be for desktop and server and everybody to participate in these testing weeks. So you would see, we would improve our automated testing, but we would also have, um, a wide variety of flavors participating rather than just a few people who, who feel like they have something to release. They, they uh, like two or three people release one blessed image and then that's just put out there. No, the, the goal will be for everybody to participate so we could all collaborate and we could all work together on this. I like that idea too, especially when you got these different flavors now that uh, are beginning more and more prominent yeah. and more and more larger user bases. So uh, their feedback on some of this would be get some critical mass and yes, get some bugs fixed. Exactly. I have a question for you, Wes. What is your process? I mean, theoretically, I'm not saying that Wes Payne, the actual individual, does this, but Wes Payne, the presenter, theorizing, uh, in his personal opinion, uh, what is your process for backing up movies to, like, say, a storage medium? Do you have, do you do this, and do you have a process? You know, I haven't done it for a long time. Really? Back in the yeah. day, I'd certainly, you know... Ripped some DVDs, archived them, if you would Do say. Do you now more rely on the public backup? Yeah, or, uh, you know, streaming services. Yeah, that's what I, I primarily do, too. Uh, but I have picked up a few... Uh, I'll tell you, there's a thing about the like uh, the kids, is they don't have, like, a high preference. Like, right now, they're young enough where they just don't care. They just need something. Yeah. 
kind of so, colorful like, and fun. Family members are passing down a lot of DVDs to us, and, and uh, we're picking up some Blu-rays at garage sale. Ange is always good at picking up, like, uh, she's part of these, have you heard of these Buy Nothing groups? No. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's a big thing on Facebook, especially with the with the uh, people that are really uh, kind of thrifty. It's a real, it's a big thing in, in the rural towns that are sure. Or save some money. Uh, yes. Yeah. People like, use some resources. Yeah, so, so instead of throwing something out that's still perfectly good, you put it up on a Facebook group and say, hey, I got this thing. And people, hey, I got this thing all the time, right? All the time. So like a distributed goodwill. Yeah, I want to get rid of all my, all my all my young kid stuff that we've had in the garage for the last 10 years. Would somebody like to just come grab this? It's distributed goodwill. It's it's P2P goodwill. And so you get you get DVDs, Blu-rays, you get all VHS, all kinds of crap. Sure, right? Like a bunch of, here's a bunch of kids' movies. Mm-hmm. Have at it. And my kids love all of it. And, you know, we just went on a spring break trip recently. I took the kids down to uh, Seaside, Oregon and Lady Jupes, loaded up Lady Jupes. And uh, I am ridiculously proud of this. And it's not even all of that elegant, but <laughs> I am... I am super proud of the fact that uh, I can disconnect Lady Jupes from from shore power is what they call it, uh, which is, which would be like utility from like the city, right? You power, uh, and Lady Jupes can go into battery mode, and this transition does not interrupt the TVs or the Ooh, land. Ooh, that's lovely. The land, the TVs, and the you just hot swapping and boom, they all stay up. Not a blink. I can fire up our gener- our onboard generator. And it can kick in. And so technically, the entire... This is a kind of a big deal. The whole house will switch from DC to AC. Wow. And the TVs, Just the black works. server, the LAN, huh. the internet connection all stay up. So I'm pretty proud of this. Yeah. And it's it's just so awesome because we have these built-in screens to, in Lady Jubes, these flat screens. And so when you're going down the road, the kids can like chill on the bed, like the in the master bedroom, and they can like just with quote unquote master bedroom, it's just it's a queen size bed. <laughs> they can chill on the bed and watch TV and you know do whatever while we're going down the road. It's, They're not distracting they, you while you're they, driving. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Uh, and so I wanted to I wanted to get some of the stuff that we had collected recently into. Uh, my my uh, my Plex server. Right, you already have a system. You're not haul- you don't need to be hauling DVDs all around. Side note, funny enough, Plex took a total shit on me t- for an unrelated oh. reason because of an Android update, and so I ended up just using Cody. But uh, that's a side note. Um, but I needed to I needed to encode a lot of this stuff. I use MakeMKV and other tools to sort of encode this stuff. But I needed a way to or to get it onto my system. But I needed a way to encode it. And I'm a longtime Handbrake user. Really like Handbrake sure. because really underneath the scenes, it's using FFmpeg with just a bunch of sane presets and stuff like that. And they're, they're using like good codecs like X264 and stuff. And so uh, this week, they've released Handbrake 1.1.0, which has a total UI overhaul, uh, a redesigned main window with consistency that's just, I, I don't know, I just think it looks a lot better, I'll say. Uh, and I like the way they preview the video image. They've redone the way you select presets. No more old, like, kludgy drawer system. It's an updated user interface, updated icons, high DPI support. Uh, they've added newer presets for Vimeo and YouTube and, uh, and some uh, TV uh, TV playback boxes. But there's been some nice, actual, specific Linux improvements, too. They've added an option to configure a low disk space warning level, which <laughs> this is nice because uh, uh, I've actually, with uh, this version, we've moved over encoding the BSD Now program uh, to Handbrake, and Angela's doing this on Handbrake, and so it's nice to have this because she has like That's a- That's fantastic. Yeah, she has like a bin that she sends these to, mm-hmm. and when that fills up, she needs to know, and so this gives her a warning now. It's just like the timing. It's a small thing, but the timing was just aces uh they also added intel quick sync video encoding support it's experimental it requires a very specific version of the intel driver so i haven't tried this yet but that could that be would be great. really nice yeah that could be really if great. it's meeting your quality mm-hmm. you know nice and fast yeah 
Uh, and also check about check just just like being like just talk about being that's what I'm trying to say. Talk about being ahead of the uh, curve here. Uh, official support for 1804. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it looks like they just as we're as we're as we're covering it, it they just uploaded one one zero to the PPA. No. Yeah, I wasn't there right Sweet. earlier in the show. Sweet, go get your hands on it right now. Check Sweet. it out. Sweet, you know what, Wes? That's a, that's officially like some uh, Linux unplugged uh, breaking news right there. Like we just broke a little handbrake news on the unplugged program. This is CNN breaking news. Unplugged breaking news. Yeah, come on, get unplugged that right. breaking news. Yeah, and then there's been some updates for uh, something called Windows. Not familiar with it, but no, uh, I think we'll find out later. No, I don't. I think that's what I look outside. And Mac, which is something that McDonald's makes, but they have some improvements too, but they look like bullshit stuff that I wouldn't want to use anyways. Uh, anyway, so Handbrake, new release, link in the show notes, super great. And I used that. So once I, once I got the, so this is Chris's quick, if I could just summarize my long story I gave you earlier. My quick tip is Use the right tool for the job. So if it's a Blu-ray and a DVD, I recommend make MKV. Bring those onto your hard drive. Uh, and then people have asked me a lot, should I just keep that MKV or should I re-encode it as, uh, as an MP4 file or something like an MKV file with an with a H.264 video? You know, having tested a lot of it, uh, X264 at a high-quality bit rate, if you do two-pass encoding, um, I would challenge you to 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 really see the difference between that and what you rip directly off the Blu-ray using Make MKV, and there is a substantial, substantial, substantial file size difference. Substantial. I would tell you to focus more on what you're doing with the audio. Are you doing pass-through audio? Are you re-encoding that audio? Are you accidentally mixing down multi-channel to stereo? Pay attention to that, my friends, because the number one question you guys are sending me is, should I encode it or not encode it? And you're not even asking me about the audio stuff. Having tested this back, you know, from, from doing like, I'm just taking the Blu-ray, which is an, which is like an AVC H.264 encoded file, keep in mind. Uh, having taken that Blu-ray and looked at just raw Blu-ray versions versus re-encoded using Handbrake, I, I really, I cannot tell the difference. And I am particularly picky about that kind of stuff. And I'm looking in like water scenes where there's a lot of motion and fire. Uh, I mean, I'm talking like, you know, really paying attention to specific scenes where the encoding should break down. And it looks good to me. So I really, I give a really, really hearty recommendation to Handbrake and the presets that they have been including because they've really tuned those presets with this new release and the stuff just looks so great. If you do the 1080p high quality, it will be double pass. It will be good audio. It's like, it's like if it's really what I think a professional video encoder would recommend. Yeah. My uh, my MB setup, it's not the beefiest. So if I can get it to a format that's like widely recognized already and then yeah. just direct play, that's all the better too. Exactly. That's another nice thing about this is it'll let you target certain types of devices. So if you knew you're going to be playing it back on a Roku, for example, you could target that device. You could play it on MB. It'll do direct pass through. Nothing's getting double encoded. It's the best quality possible. Boom. That stuff really does make a difference. So anyways, uh, that's that hopefully just answers a bunch of questions that come into the show. And it's a really handy tool. And it's, it's something that... We're now using on a weekly basis for one of our Jupiter Broadcasting programs, too, the BSD Now Show. Yeah, congrats on the new release. Yeah. Great yeah, software. Yeah, and apparently a new new release, breaking news. All right, well, let's take a moment and talk about something new coming from Linux Academy. They have a huge batch of updates in the month of April. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to sign up for a free seven-day trial and support the show. 
It's an advanced training tool that gives you all of the knowledge you need for Linux and the things built on top of Linux. A full-featured training library. They have hands-on scenario-based labs that they spin up on demand that you log in over SSH to a Linux box and you start working on the real applications and technologies. You write the real config files. You see the real results. They have self-paced in-depth video courses on every Linux cloud and DevOps topic. And now, in the month of April... They are launching more than 70 new courses. They've got new challenges and learning activities. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. some, I mean, that's a lot of new stuff. Yeah. They're refreshing old content as well. They've, they're uh, looking at uh, all kinds of... Th- the thing about Linux Academy is they're always looking at all kinds of ways to, uh, to update the old stuff, too. So I often talk about the new content they're adding, but I think just as valuable is they're going back and retouching... You always know you can go there. You'll find stuff yeah. that's up to date and... That's nice. Some refreshes across the course where 50 new cloud assessment courses, hands-on learning activities, and new challenges, as well as they have a new real-time grading platform so you can get feedback as you're working on the lab. You don't have to wait till the end. That's that's great. That's amazing, really. That's so Fast cool. Fast feedback when you're learning easy resources. It's yeah. just yeah, and a seven-day free trial when you go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. They have study tools as well that you can download and listen to and use offline if you need to go offline for a little bit, and a community stacked full of Jupiter Broadcasting members. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. That's linuxacademy.com slash unplugged for that free seven-day trial and to support this here podcast. So I want to talk about Plasma Vault. This is our official KDE corner, if you will. And uh, Plasma Vault is an applet and a set of services and backend uh, services that create encrypted vaults that are easily accessible from the Plasma desktop. Now, I do have a disclaimer that I have to make. Before this episode started, about 10 minutes, I updated to resolve another issue I was having on Plasma. And after I did that update, I lost access to my desktop and I lost access to being able to add Plasma widgets. All I have is a, is a black screen. And you can see my mouse cursor. Um, oh, that's all you need for a nice desktop. I can't right-click. I can't add widgets. So so minimal. I was going to tell you about this. This is a really cool application, but at this point, I, I actually would not be able to access the vaults I'm about to get to. So just just so you guys are aware, there there may be some issues that could. Why are you laughing? The hackers are dropping malware no, I, into your. No, system. I don't think I was. I was not hacked. It was an update. It was an update, and uh, it, I was. It was my bad. And uh, I've been told it's related to my NVIDIA binary driver. No, say it ain't so. It appears to be so. The Plasma applet, though, called Plasma Vault, is pretty cool. It doesn't really use anything that you couldn't bust out on the command line and uh, solve yourself. It can do an overlay encryption file system where it can do a whole volume. And it's this UI that you, you add it. It can be a little icon down in your dock, or it could be, uh, or, or actually, I'm using a dock right now, but it could be your, your regular Plasma desktop, uh, or it could be a new widget on your desktop. So you click on the widget. You can say create new vault. When you do that, you give the vault the name. So like in this case, it might be, uh, you know, like LUP secrets or something like that. Oh, so secret. And you can choose your encryption. I'm going to do IncFS. You could actually, I'll do CryFS. CryFS, which is kind of neat. When you hit next in their wizard, it comes up with a security notice. It says CryFS, C-R-Y-F-S. Encrypts your files so you can safely store them anywhere. It works well together with cloud services like Dropbox or iCloud or OneDrive and others. Unlike some other file system overlay solutions, it does not expose a directory structure and the, or the number of files nor the size through the encrypted data format. But one important thing to note is that while CryFS is considered safe, 
there has been no independent security audit, which confirms this. So they give you that disclaimer. Well, yeah, that's nice. I think that, and you, they, you know what you're getting yourself into. You know, you put your super secret secure password in there. So farts, and then you confirm that farts. The next, um, and uh, oh, oh, I guess I guess next is not farts. Type it in again because that's what I do. Farts. Hit next. And then you tell it where you actually want it to store the volume. Nice. So in this crate, in this case, the encrypted data location will be slash home slash Chris F slash dot local. So it's a hidden directory slash share slash plasma dash vault slash secrets dot ENC. So that'll be the actual path of my encrypted volume. It'll be in a hidden directory in the dot local folder, which is and then it's pretty it's pretty nested down. You know, it's it's all the way it's down to a plasma vault folder. And it mounts now to slash home, slash Chris F, slash vaults. So it's going to make a vaults folder in my home directory. And then in there, it will make a folder called LUP Secrets. And anything I put in that folder called LUP Secrets will actually go in this encrypted volume. Sweet. Yep. So I do next, and I say go ahead and create. Oh, this is something else that's kind of cool. Um, but it'll allow you to limit the activities, which is a Plasma desktop function, that this vault is even available to. I don't want to do that, so I'm not going to choose that option. So I just choose create. When I say open to my file manager, it's it asks for the password. I put it in, and it opens a vault. It's now mounted as a regular folder. I can use it. I could leave it mounted my entire session. I'm, I'm impressed Like with this. you know, A few extra steps, and it feels a lot more integrated than some hacky encrypted folder that I have a bash script somewhere yeah, for. And I also like and appreciate the fact that they're not inventing their own encryption. Yeah, right. It's not all hand-rolled. It's using, you know, just reliable primitives, sticking it together in a reasonable way with a lot of disclaimers. Yes. That's I in, do appreciate that. perfect, too. yeah. <laughs> so Plasma Vaults is nice. It's You know, you could use IncFS, you can use CryFS, but here's the other great thing about it. Uh, this is coming from Ivan's uh, blog here. He's he's talking about uh, adding a new functionality to Plasma Vaults that I think is great. And it's really in light of Meltdown Inspector. He says, we've recently seen that even CPUs can sometimes be used as attack vectors. It's common for the web browser to be, and obviously through social engineering, for a user to also be used to gain remote access to the system. For this reason, starting with the next Plasma release, if you have extremely sensitive data, you mark, you, you can mark a vault as offline only. This means that networking will be shut down as soon as you open the offline-only vault. Any potential remote access is inhibited. Nice. I mean, not a, you know, not complete, but hey, uh, one more step, that's real handy. I like that a lot. I mean, if you're using Network Manager to manage your network connections anyways, and this can inter- interface with that and shut down your network connection, so you're essentially air-gapped for a limited time. You're right. It doesn't it doesn't prevent uh, things that have been loaded on your system while you've been connected to the network. It's it's more of an immediate solution, but it's it's a one more peace of mind solution. And I like that integration, and that's where the Plasma desktop often comes in is that total suite integration right. where it could where your your vault mounting mechanism can actually stop the networking and it's not through some sort of hack, but through some sort of elegant communication system. It feels like a cohesive designed desktop. Yeah. So anyways, that's uh, what's coming down the pipe for vaults. Uh, I wanted to also mention this week Latte Doc, which I have started using on one of my Plasma systems. I had this other bug recently with the Plasma desktop where my panel stopped updating. Is that, do you think, a fair description, Wes? Uh, yeah, definitely. You've seen it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it like freezes in time. Uh, the individual like applets like Dropbox and TeamViewer and whatnot still work. And I think even the Bitcoin price thing still worked. But the clock would stop, like the seconds wouldn't tick anymore. And 
then more importantly, the taskbar would just be frozen at whatever I was at when it locked up. So if I had, say, console and Kate and Firefox open, they would always show as open regardless and say that I opened Chrome and that was the only app I had open. It would, I could, I couldn't, it would never be in the task manager. It was kind of a little challenging when I was live on air and trying to switch between applications. And so um, I, I heard that an update would come down the road and let me fix it. But I thought in the meantime, until that update arrives, maybe I'll try Latte Doc. I got to say, I'm not Mr. Doc. I don't really appreciate Docs. I think they're usually just trying to be a Mac ripoff, and I tend to askew from them. This, however, did it right, because one of the default layouts is called Plasma. And it's a, it's essentially a Plasma bar, but implemented as a dock, and it's done well. And it has a lot of it has a lot of functionality that I do appreciate from docs, like intelligent hiding, being being able to change it, being connected to the left side of my screen or the right side of my screen or the bottom of my screen, or you know, just uh, the one icon for applications that are running or for the launcher. I don't need to have an icon for the launcher and the running task. You know, those kinds of things. It's it does what I like in a dock while not feeling like it's ripping off the Mac, and it's native Plasma stuff here. It's Yeah, it looks clean, It's using well Plasma integrated. technology. Yeah, it's very well integrated. Smooth. It's, it is. And uh, I've, I think I'm going to put it on all of my Plasma desktops slowly. It's pretty much available, and in all of the repos, too. It's I'm, This is not a new application. Uh, Producer Michael's come on the show and told us about this before, but it's all based on Plasma Framework, so it provides an elegant and intuitive experience, and I completely agree with their description there. Uh, and you can add regular plasmoids to it. It animates or doesn't animate, depending on what you want. It's got a really easy-to-understand configuration, and you can... I don't know. It's it's just nice. And after having some troubles with the standard plasma panel, I thought it, I thought maybe it'd be worth mentioning. This has been my favorite part of your uh, your plasma journey. Yeah, you're finding all the apps I didn't even know I needed. Yeah, and hadn't found in the <laughs> in the KDE world, and yeah. now I know. So thank you. And then one more before we just get out of here. I see though that Mr. Noah Chalaya has joined us. Oh, so I may ask him about his plasma dog. experience here in a moment. But uh, one more little uh, plug skis before we get out of here. You might remember. I think it was like Quapzilla. Was that the name of it? Quapzilla? Oh, that sounds familiar. An old cute uh, web browser. Well, it was renamed back in 2017 to Falcon. Falcon. There you go. Falcon. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's flying like like an, like an eagle now. Uh, it's a cross-platform cute web browser, and it's now called Falcon. And it's m- my experimental... I want something that's not Firefox. Like I want to be logged into a different Google account. I just want it on a different process or whatever. I want to be able to just alt tab really easy to a different set of sessions. That's where I'm, I'm trying it out right now. And I've been looking for things that are cute based for the plasma desktop. So if you have any Falcon tips, uh, linuxunplugcom slash contact, let me know. But uh, Mr. Uh, Noah Chalaya, are you there? Are you live, sir? And are you still on the plasma desktop? I am. I am. And I am. Have you have you tried it out on any NVIDIA systems recently? I have, actually. Our brand new uh, XPS edit bay. No. Is, uh, oh. Yeah, it's running, it's running Plasma. Really? Yeah, has, Do you want to tell people a, about that? Do you want to you 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 have you spill the beans? You yeah, we can, we can spill it. Honestly, the only, a, reason yeah. I, only reason I didn't spill it earlier was I, did, I, I didn't know, uh, you know, it's your Popsicle stand. I didn't know what, how you wanted to sell the <laughs> Popsicle. This is a little Linux so. Best Northwest tease, you know, because behind this, this actually maybe gives people a better idea of what we go through behind the scenes to prepare for Linux Fest Northwest. You should, you should tell yeah. people about this new machine. 
Well, yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, I think there's a probably a public perception that all I do is complain about wireless on 16 and 4, but that's not that's not the truth. I, the truth is I actually do a lot of things. Uh, I actually fight for the Linux desktop a lot. And so uh, one of the things that had came up was, you know, we were talking about what we're going to do for Linux Fest. And I was like, listen, we can do a lot of different things for Linux Fest as long as we're all doing them on Linux. And I said, well, here's the thing. We've had some issues, some production issues in the past. So how, how can we make sure that we have an absolute rock solid machine that's 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 going to work perfectly the entire time as if it was a broadcast grade you know device like that you would buy from a company i said that's not a problem what we have to do is we have to buy a brand new top of the line dell xps performance system uh with the with the eight core i7 in it and dedicated graphics and a dedicated uh capture device that's pci so it's on the bus so we have four individual 1080p 60 frame per second capture uh, device that's inside of this box we built it and uh and i actually i i really like that system because a week before i had started editing the asnoa show and I actually purchased another one of these systems to do all of the editing on it and uh, and so the it's it's the it's the dell xps desktop not the, not the laptop it's the desktop version but it's a it's just a powerhouse of a machine and that currently is loaded with KDE Neon and, of course, has the uh, dedicated NVIDIA graphics card in it. So I am uh, fascinated by by the amount of hardware that is going to this year's Linux Fest Northwest. Uh, but I think it's also interesting that we're doing a full plasma uh, deployment. You know what? It's one of these things, Noah, where by the time Linux Fest lands, 1804 will have been released. You know what I mean? Like oh. we have... Yeah, we have to do all of this pre-1804. The other thing is, and maybe this is a bad way to to go about this, but my my plan up until this point and, and continues to be re really, I, I'm just hanging out on KDE Neon until it burns me. And then once I get burned or once something happens, then maybe I'll reevaluate that. But yeah. like, I was thinking about this, you know, when 1804 comes out, you know, as as a responsible person in the media, I feel like it's our job to, to you know, to, to evaluate the stuff. Try it. Yeah. All, all the flavors, really. I want to try as many as I can. But at the same time, like, I still have to be able to get work done, and Neon has been so rock-solid good to me. I've had zero, not not a couple of things that I could work, zero problems whatsoever with it, that it's just going to be very difficult for me to wipe it off my computer. Maybe I can partition it out and, and, and live in, you know, the, 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 the LTS for a little bit and, you know, just to play with it and stuff. But I, at this point, I'm, I, my plan was to just blow it completely away and go back to 1804 Gnome. I'm having a really hard time, yeah. if I'm being honest with myself and you. Yeah. I'm having a hard time convincing myself we've, to do that. We've never really had an experiment go like this before. I mean, we've, I mean, not like this deep, right? I right. mean, we're, yeah. we're like, hey, let's try this. And then it just, like, it just changes the way we work now. <laughs> I was just saying on the pre-show, I've had two out of six systems start develop issues, which isn't a bad batting average, but it's enough where like my, I'm at yellow alert right now. And I'm like, oh, what am I sure. going to do? What am I going to do? But other than, it's not too bad. And those both are my two NVIDIA rigs. So it's kind of interesting. Those are the oh. two systems having problems. That's why I was asking hmm. you if you tried it on NVIDIA. Yeah, just one. And, and to be fair, uh, both of those systems, one, so one of those doesn't have the, the, um, the, uh, the Linux Fest rig actually just got here yesterday, the day before. Uh, and so it's, it's it's sitting apart because we're putting hardware in it. The editing machine, I have it's been running two whatever it's been two three weeks with Nvidia. However, I've only used that machine like you know an hour or two, uh, yeah, a week. If I reboot or even just log out and log back in, the problem tends to go away. The locked panel problem. This time I've lost my desktop and all of my widgets and the ability to add new widgets. Uh, but that tends to actually get resolved too. So let's let's change gears. Do you want to mention what you're doing in LA and why you're going to LA soon, or do you want to just keep that a behind the scenes thing? No, sure. No, I think it's cool. 
Um, so one of the things that we had talked about for Linux Fest Northwest is when you guys come out to the conference, we want to change the dynamic that, that exists because a lot of times we'll be in quote unquote show mode yeah. and then people are either afraid to approach the booth or they approach the booth at the wrong time. We're, we're trying busy, to set something yeah. up and it just, it, it, it creates an unfriendly dynamic. And so we want to change that. And so what we're, what we're looking at doing is try to, we're trying to create a cool exhibit. So it's not just the place that we're setting up and broadcasting. There's going to be cool things for you to look at, cool things for you to see, cool things for you to play with. And, um, Basically, I we were looking for we were, so we're going through and we're like, how can we get the best of everything uh, and make it something kind of cool to see? And uh, one of the things that we wanted to do from the audio side is have all digital audio so that there is no buzz, there is no hum, there's nothing like that. It's all digital. So I started looking for a board that we could use that was all digital. And um, which is if you, which is not cheap. Once you say no, those words, you're in a certain price category right there. Right. Yeah, boy. <laughs> yeah. Usually you're you're in a couple grand, you know, each. And um, and the, the, if you if anybody is in the broadcast industry or, or or in the voiceover industry, you guys may know the name Joe Cipriano. And Joe grew up on the air. He grew up and he wrote a book about how from the time he was 12 years old, he was in a radio station doing on air stuff. Uh, and eventually turned it into a voiceover career. And he's one of the most, next to Don LaFontaine, probably one of the most successful voiceover uh, actors out there. If you've listened to Fox News, or I'm sorry, Fox, uh, you know, The Simpsons or anything like that, he does all of the promos for CBS and Fox and stuff like that. And um, heard about what we were doing, heard about what we, you know, the, the budget constraint that I'm working under and stuff like that. And I, I just reached out to him. I said, I know you have this board. I know that you're looking to uh, transition out of it and up. He's upgrading a system. And I said, you know, could we work out a decent price? And um, I, I don't know if I want to go into the pricing, but he gave me an insane deal. So insane that I am flying out to L.A. at the end of this week to go pick the board up from his <laughs> studio. Wow. And then I'm going to go straight from his studio. I, I bought next flight the very next day to um, Seattle. I'm going to bring it there. And then we have like a week to set it up and try it and play yep. with it and make sure everything's going to work. Yep. But we're going to be using Joe Cipriano's board. If, and my thing was simple. If it's good enough for CBS, it's probably good enough for us. I hope so. Yeah, otherwise we're doing something if wrong. If the Tiffany Network says it's good, then we, <laughs> we should be able to do a live <laughs> stream. It's only work on open source. Yeah. The whole thing, you know, so so it's a it's a it's a it's a real it's a real process to do this, but it is if you have if you have a small budget or you have a large budget. And I think this is what <clears throat> my takeaway is. And it's not really this show's legacy, but a big legacy of Lass was us struggling with can we do our passion on linux and our passion was live production of shows and um now the question more is like what range do we want to do this at like at what grade like if we want to spend if we wanted to spend seven hundred dollars we could do this and if and if we if we want to go full noah you know we could spend money that we probably shouldn't mention on this and do this <laughs> The range, like there's a range available to us now, Noah. You know what I mean? Like, well, we, you know, it, it really, I, and you know, the best two examples of that, you know, go-to examples of that I can think of are going to be this year at Linux Fest Northwest, I think is safe to say probably the most elaborate setup that we've ever done. Uh, in fact, I would go as far as this, I go as far as to say this, I would, I'll, I'll put, I'll put my name out, put my name on it and say that I challenge you to find another conference, not just a Linux conference, but any conference that isn't exhibiting media stuff specifically. So NAB would be out, stuff like that. 
but anything that's that's just a, that's a conference that's outside of the media industry that is going to have a, a, as as elaborate of a setup as we're going to have. So we've got that yeah. this year. Oh, yeah. But then you then you compare that to what we did at System 76 a couple of years ago, where we literally didn't show up with a single piece of equipment. I mean, we showed up and we just hodgepodged it together. People were bringing in parts from their house and stuff like that, and we made a production system <laughs> out of it. And and so and that just shows the flexibility, the scalability of Linux. The fact that I can just take a box, get all the software and necessary stuff up, open the Google Docs, put all the stream keys in, boom, we're on the air. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty cool. I can't I can't wait to start playing with this stuff. And, uh, you know, that just, you know, if you follow the timeline there, Noah's going to be out here a damn near way before Linux Fest Northwest because we're going to be we're going to be testing the stuff. We're going to be we're going to be working with this stuff. It's 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 our passion. And it's so cool to be able to do this under Linux now. Uh, and and to be able to go to a Linux event now for years, like this isn't our first year. This is not our first rodeo anymore. Like this is, we've been doing these events, covering them from from beginning to end, full spectrum using Linux. Uh, and now this is like the most professional implementation. Like we're not going to be throwing together systems. Finally getting minute. good at it. Yeah, it's kind of fun. It's it's fun to be at this position. Oh, so I'm really excited. <clears throat> Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool and crazy. Noah flying all over the place to do it. Uh, I don't. I don't even know if I don't even know what that guy's up to. That's that's just nuts. If I, I actually think our setup at the Linux Fest Northwest booth might make me just want to do shows from there from now yeah, on. Yeah, we'll just do it there all the time. That's it. <laughs> I'm done. I don't need any of that. <laughs> I'm sick of it. Uh, we'll just do all our shows from there from now on. Anyways, uh, links to everything we talked about today. LinuxUnplugged.com/slash what is this? Two forty four. Yep, two forty four. And uh, if you come over on uh, Tuesdays to the JBLive.tv stream, you can uh, catch this show. We start at two p.m. Pacific. Actually, really, the live show usually kicks off around one thirty Pacific. All of that is converted to your local time at JupiterBroadcasting.com/slash/calendar. You come for the unplugged program. You hang out with us. We have some pre-show. We have the main show. We have the post-show, and then just a little bit after that, it's that crazy Ask Noah program. Yeah. And uh, he's taking your live calls. He's answering your questions, and uh, he's talking about all that kind of stuff. I, hang out with Noah. It's a Linux sandwich. I really think you probably like it. So, and plus, you got the chat room going. There's the mumble room you can participate in. You can join our virtual lug. You see, any simple model of human nature is going to be wrong. And you can debate things like human nature, I guess, That's if, you, if you like. Anyways, all of that is happening at jblive.tv every single Tuesday, and we'd love to have you there. You can get links to everything we talked about at linuxunplugged.com slash 244. Email us at linuxunplugged.com slash contact. And that's all of like the meat and potatoes. So much meat and potatoes. Meat and potatoes is everything we need to cover. But I think that'll pretty much bring it up, bring us to an end for at least our portion. The Ask Noah program will take over soon. But in the meantime, go check out the TechSnap program, techsnap.systems, where Wes and I are breaking down stories that are really kind of focused on the whole IT and sysadmin market. So it's like, if you've got to live in that world, you need to know what's coming up. If you have systems you have to manage, or... If you have systems you have to manage and that's not your primary day job, TechSnap program can be very valuable. TechSnap.Systems. Go get a little more. Me and Wes. Go join us. Or at Wes Payne for his Twitter. Do it. I'm at Chris Elias. The network is at Jupiter Signal. We also have the subreddit, linuxunplugged.reddit.com and linuxunplugged.com. Thanks so much for being here. See you right back here next Tuesday.
the Unplugged program. Wrapping up 244. Feel it. Feeling good. That was a long one. That went a little bit longer than I Out of control. It's really your fault, Wes. You just don't ever shut up. I know. I was egging you on all day. And Dan. Dan comes in here, you know, running his mouth. And hey, Citizen, I don't think he ever shut his mouth either. You guys. Unbelievable. Gotta get hyped. <laughs> Linux hype. Linux 2018. Hype. So let's see here. Let's get some title. We hype. got titles thing. No, what's coming up on the Ask Noah program, Broham? What's going Holy on? cow. We are asking so many crazy <laughs> flame clickbaity questions like oh, okay. is Apple destroying the computer? <laughs> we've got a real we've got a really cool guest that is starting a business, and so we're gonna talk with him about what's coming up in his business and the challenges that you face when you start a small business oh, yeah, and how nice. you can do that on Linux. So yeah, that's uh, lovely. Hey, did you officially change the uh intro uh tagline? I did, yeah. Every well, yeah, can you give it, can you, do you mind giving me a read again? Because I I'm, I know it's new, but I forgot what it was. Uh, I mean, I know sure. the music's not going. I know. I'm. At, it's a big ask, but well, hold on a second. I like you know it. What? It was like way simpler and less. You know. Confusing. You know. You know what's great. You know what's great about this new system here. What? I have this touch screen, and as long as I turn it on, there we go. Yeah. Sure. Look at that. Oh. I just push the button, and it happens. Established. All of a sudden, like a fast forward right to the music. Oh my yeah. gosh. The show you've been asking for. Everyone's gonna think it's starting. It's not starting. This is all starting. It's gonna get me flagged. All others second. You're gonna get me flagged, dude. It can't get me. It can't get flagged oh, okay, because good. it's custom written. Good. All right. Good. Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. Because I, I I don't know. If live from Multispeed Technologies, the Ask Noah Show starts right now. This is the show where we do all the things on Linux they said that couldn't be done, yeah! and take your calls on how to do the same. Damn, that's good, dude. That is good. Much better, I like right? That. Woot, I do like woot. that. I like that. See, music here's the better. That- I like that slogan better. Because you know, your tech and tech business tech questions didn't make right. any sense to me. I, I know. And you know what's you know here's the problem though. You didn't tell me that until New York. Do you remember we were having dinner? Oh really? And we were <laughs> yeah, we were down eat we were eating Indian food in the basement of the train station. I do remember. Okay. And you're like and you you're just like you're like, what does that mean? I'm like, what does what mean? <laughs> you said taking your tech questions and business in tech question, what does that mean? And then, and then I yeah. explain it and you're like, Okay, well once you explain it, it makes sense, but when you say it it doesn't make any sense. And I'm like well, we're 54 episodes in. Why am I just hearing about this now? You're I, like, well, I just I'm didn't make nice. it from episode one. I, I know. I you got to nice. be stern from the start. Uh, by the is, way, nice new. By the way, nice new rock music. Yeah, thanks to really took four and a half months and a lot Ooh. of money, but and, <laughs> and now uh, you have it. It's perfect. And, uh, forever. and yeah. 52 YouTube flags. Actually, no, it's double right. because there's a live stream. So, uh, <clears throat> JB Titles is not working because uh, JBot is written in Ruby and not Rust. Oh yeah, should I? I guess I can. We we ought to talk about maybe soliciting a community project to rewriting JBot because JBot uh, doesn't handle people going to jbtitles.com super well. I'm noticing, it's just it has huh. a hard time, and I think it's the just maybe because it's Ruby, but that's just maybe me being a Rust uh, lover. I don't know. You know, I'm I'm all Rust. You are all Rust. I, I go to night. I go to bed at night SOB. watching Rust YouTube videos. Yeah. Anyways, what are we gonna not, what are we gonna title this thing? Because I gotta get out of here so Noah can do a show. So we gotta come up with a title, guys. God, this is always harder than it should be. Too bad we don't have Popey in here cursing and, and yelling at people to give us a title because that would. Be- 